With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bringing the Podcasts. We had a bye week and really didn't feel like talking about football much, so we had a bye week for the podcast as well. This week, Kansas State's getting back into it, the game against TCU, so really happy to have co-managing editor of Frogs of War, Melissa Trubwasser, back with us. Melissa, how are you? Uh, you know, I feel about like you. I'm pretty good coming off of a bye week and not having to watch TCU play football, so it was probably a, a really positive thing for me on Saturday. Yeah, and you know, there was some fun football, especially in the SEC. I enjoyed the the South Carolina-Georgia game as a Mizzou grad. I, I don't know if you know this, Mizzou is at the top of the SEC East right now. So it's, that's I fun. mean, that's a, I guess these are non, non-appropriate ways to describe what that means, but <laughs> we'll just say congrats to you and your second string leftover quarterback from TCU who tried to talk crap on his way out, but didn't really like him. So I, I won't be rooting for Mizzou anytime soon, I'm sorry to say. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Speaking of quarterbacks, second string leftover quarterbacks, what do you think of the Alex Dalton experience so far? <laughs> um, let me say it this way, is that Alex Dalton is who we thought he was, um, <laughs> in that he is an exceptional human being, mm-hmm. um, a wonderful leader in the locker room, uh, overall really, really great team first guy who has one significant issue, and it's that he cannot throw the football. And that's really detrimental to the quarterback position. Um, I, it's been the biggest frustration. There have been so many frustrations through the first, you know, five games of the season. But the biggest frustration is Gary Patterson's continued insistence on getting Alex Dalton into the game, despite the fact that every time he steps on the field, the offense immediately looks like it's working in, in a tar pit. Um, yeah. he's, he's a great human. I hope he's the captain all season long. But – you put him in for a red zone package or you put him in for a series or two. And other than against Kansas, which is, you know, basically against the JV team, he just he can't move the ball and, and the offense just operates so much more slowly. So I think there's a way to use him effectively. I just don't think the Frogs have figured out what that looks like yet. And so it's just, ugh, ugh. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's everything you described, is, I think uh, yeah. Kansas State fans are familiar with, right down to the he can still beat Kansas part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's got that one. I mean, he threw the probably the most perfect pass of his entire career yeah. against Kansas a couple of weeks back, but it was full gold. And TC, I mean, just to show you what our fan base is, there are still TCU fans clamoring for him to get the starting job back, like <laughs> insisting, willing to die on this hill that Alex Dalton should be the TCU starting quarterback despite every statistical metric proving otherwise. But, you know, that's what it's like being a TCU football fan. Yeah, I feel like he must be a a phenomenal – he must be a phenomenal practice player. Yeah, yeah. I guess they've kept him in there too. Anyway, good for him. Yeah, so Max Dugan, how is he – he's a lovely human being. Yeah, he's a great, great human, but not a good quarterback. Right, right. And so Max, you know, how is he throwing the ball? 
this is where I'm not 100% sure if it's a Max Duggan freshman quarterback issue or if it's a Sonny Cumbie issue. And I think that there's a little bit of blame to lie on both accounts. When we run an up-tempo offense, when the running game is going, Max looks every bit the part of a really good freshman quarterback, a guy who can win you some games. Is probably not going to lose you games, but might not quite be ready to overtake, say, an Oklahoma or, you know, even an Iowa State on the road. The problem is, is that, you know, the coaching staff still hasn't figured out how to get him in a groove early and put him in a position to be successful. He's a phenomenal quarterback in the second half of football games. He was phenomenal hmm. against SMU. He was exceptional against Iowa State, but only for the last 30 minutes. And in the first 30, they can't complete passes. They, they keep insisting on running these five and seven step drops and these long developing plays instead of just letting him run timing routes and get the ball in and out of his hands. And so he's not been super accurate. He's missed some easy throws. He still needs to put a little touch on this ball, but he hasn't thrown an interception yet. And I'm furiously knocking on any wood type looking <laughs> product in my car. And, and he hasn't, he's committed a couple of bad fumbles, but for the most part, he looks like he's getting better every single week and, and that there's a lot of hope for the future. It's just a question mm -hmm. of can Sonny Cumbie figure out how to make him look good from the opening series this week and going forward the rest of the season. Okay. So the biggest thing I take from that is he's due to throw an interception this weekend. Thank you. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, honestly, like, I, I hesitate. I shudder to even have said it, but here we are. Mm -hmm. And you may have heard uh, Derek Muller-Smith has joined us now. Derek, how are you doing? Pretty good. Running a little late today. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. We kind of put this together short notice. It's Monday night or uh, Monday evening. Not really night where I am. I guess it's almost night where you guys are. But Yeah, you basically anyway. just woke up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, but Derek, all you miss is we, we uh, had a discussion about Alex Delton and how he's really great at every part of being a quarterback except for the throwing part. It turns out <laughs> to be not good. But, yeah, know. we know a thing or two about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, common refrain. <laughs> but, I mean, so, you know, we talk about Max, and, and then it looks like TCU may be having some of the, the same issues that Kansas State is as far as receivers and particularly for Kansas State's been struggling to find a number one receiver but you know it's worth pointing out Dalton Schoen has nine more yards than uh, Tavalence Hunt and one more catch than Jalen Rager who are both TCU's leaders so is there a number one guy on this team? Well the, the number one and potentially like one of the best two or three receivers in the country is Jalen Rager. I mean this is a guy mm -hmm. who the NFL right. have picked as a top 10 pick overall and yeah. yet Somehow, despite playing with four different quarterbacks last season, we cannot find a way to get to do the football. It, it's the damnedest thing. Like, I don't know if this is a family-friendly podcast or not, but it's fine. Yeah, it makes good. absolutely no sense to me whatsoever that they have not figured out a way to get Rager involved in the offense, especially when you throw in that you've got an 18-year-old kid out there taking snaps. Like, I don't know. Maybe tell your young freshman quarterback, hey, we're going to run routes with our number one top 10 NFL draft pick wide receiver that you can actually get the ball to in a timely fashion. Like, it, it, <laughs> it has been just completely mind-blowing thing to watch. And so he looked really good in the second half against Iowa State when I think Max Duggan basically just gave a big old double bird to Sonny Cumbie and said, I'm throwing the ball deep to the dude that's really good and going to let him go up and get it. And, and that seemed to be an effective strategy, especially for a guy that's got like a 40-something vertical inch uh, yeah. vertical. So I don't know if maybe Sonny needs to remember like what a play-action pass is or an underneath route or 
you know, something coming back to the ball, like instead of just running him deep and having him draw three, four, five defenders, which doesn't seem to matter anyways, they've got to find a way to give him, like have an actual route tree and a progression that Duggan can go through that to find the most dynamic offensive player potentially in <laughs> football history open and get him the football. Like it, it's been dumbfounding to see Rager yeah. struggle the way that he has. And it's not like he's not doing any, anything. He's not doing anything wrong here. It's just right. the offense is geared away from use. They're using him as a decoy. Like, I don't want to use that dude as a decoy, but what do I know? I'm not an offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to watch because K-State has had some trouble against number one receivers. Admittedly, two very good number one receivers in Tylen Wallace and Denzel Mims. But, um, you know, they put A.J. Parker on an island a lot. And he's pretty good, but He's not that good. I don't, I don't know about yeah. you, Derek. I'd yeah. like to see him get some more help from the safeties. Yeah, my opinion of him has dropped considerably in the last three weeks. He has been left out to dry a lot and really, you know, he's been given more than enough opportunities to prove that he's, you know, of the, the caliber to play the position that he's playing. And in my opinion, he's not passing. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's, you know, learned anything in the last few weeks. Yeah, at the same time, though, like, is there anybody that you'd rather have in that spot than him? Not on the team, no. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let me let me just throw this out there to solve the wound. I think that Kansas held Rager to no catches on two targets, so they did allow a punt return <laughs> touchdown. So, I mean, that, the mighty Kansas defense was able to shut down Jalen Rager, probably because we targeted him twice. But, you know, that's beside the point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have gotten into this at all yet, but this game, like – I've said this about the last two or three on the schedule, but I really have. I I cannot remember a football game where I have less of an idea of what might happen. <laughs> like as far as the what we've seen yeah. from the two teams and the mercurial nature of both of them, it, it could go any number of ways, and I'm really, really excited to see what might happen. Yeah, You I say really, really excited. I say harboring <laughs> intense feelings of dread, but okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At this point in the year, I've just kind of, I have this ability here in the last two, three years of Snyder where I've just been able to disconnect as a fan and sort of just watch objectively and be like, oh, that's cool. But, I mean, that's just me. I don't, I don't know. Well, Melissa, I know. I mean, you've got the backloaded schedule and all, so... Yeah, maybe that's your own personal hell or whatnot. But for Kansas State, you know, they got Oklahoma next week. So basically, K-State drops to 0-4 if they lose this week going yeah. into the Kansas game. You don't, you don't want the Sunflower Showdown to be a battle of 0-4 teams. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, this game really does, as early of a conference game as it is, it really does feel somewhat like the bowl eligibility bowl. Yeah. Um, if the team that loses this game is going to have a intensely uphill battle to get to bowl eligibility. I mean, mm-hmm. these are two teams that started 3-0 and in non-conference play and then conference hit and look like complete and total dumpster fires, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But TCU has also managed to be equally inept against teams that can pass defensively. Oh, we didn't start 3-0, sorry. I always forget yeah, Kansas is actually a Big 12 team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to put SMU in there than them right now. But, yeah, and so, you know, I, I think that you get Oklahoma next week, we get Texas. Baylor all of a sudden looks like a legitimately good football team. Unfortunately, hold on, i got to pull over and throw up in my mouth a little bit. We'll be okay. Um, there, there's just there's so 
and like even West Virginia doesn't look like they're just going to roll over and die like we thought they would for teams. So yeah, um, the conference to me is not very good, but it's very even. You know, you see, you see well, going and almost knock off the Bears. Yeah, well, Oklahoma is in a different stratosphere. Yeah. Um, but you can't convince me that Texas is an elite football team. They're way better than TCU <laughs> is, but they're not elite. Baylor still doesn't strike me as elite, but that's a team that's basically been completely the same for the last three years. They're really good at what they do because they've been doing it together for a really long time. And then, you know, that it's kind of Oklahoma State and Kansas State and Texas Tech and everybody outside of Kansas and probably West Virginia can all kind of beat each other up. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how these teams respond both coming out of a bye week, what kind of intensity level they play with. And, and really it comes down to, you know, like, I hate to say this so cliche, but who wants it more? Like you're looking at setting up the rest of your season for success or failure based on what happened Saturday in the Little Apple. And that's kind of a horrifying thing to think about if you're a fan of either of these teams in yeah. mid-October. Yeah, it really is. At least we've got a good uh, basketball recruiting class coming in. I don't know about your basketball team, but we've got that to look forward to. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm really actually like <laughs> cautiously optimistic about TC basketball this year. Okay. Like nine new players. <laughs> So that's different. Uh, legitimately yeah. returning three guys. But wow. I, I think that it's the most talented group of freshmen Jamie Dixon has brought in. And there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of like, hmm, this actually, if this goes well, it could go really well. If it goes poorly, it's just a rebuilding year, and that's fine. But Desmond <laughs> Bain is about to go on a personal attack tour, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. Well, so to, to go back to uh, the t- TCU offense, you know, we talked about the, the questionable part, the passing. It seems like the best part has been Darius Anderson, and he's, I mean, he's averaging 7.6 yards per carry, which is nuts. You know, is he a lot better this year? He's been around for a while, obviously. Yeah, um, so it turns out when he's fully healthy, which he has not been since he was a freshman, um, he really committed himself to improving his body during the off season and, and lost some weight, got a little bit better musculature, um, really worked on his speed and his agility, did a lot of yoga, things like that. So his flexibility is better, but he's been able to stay healthy and that's been the key. And, and when, again, I'm not an offensive coordinator, but when you give him more than six touches in the half, he uh, tends to be pretty effective. So why they only gave him six touches against Iowa State in the first half, I don't, I'm not the one to answer that, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, the, the one-two punch of Anderson and Shewo, oh God, Olana, Lua, has been really effective for TCU when they've actually utilized it. And there's nothing that cures a young quarterback more than giving him an exceptional running game with the uh, TCU's offensive line has been really, really solid for really, really great and run blocking. And then you've got two true freshmen playing behind those two senior running backs who both have shown that they're capable of of uh, doing something with the football when they get it in their hands. And so if the Frogs decide to actually utilize the run game effectively to set up play action, which is a concept that's been missing from our offensive playbook, then I think that you could see them put up enough points to be effective on Saturday. But the God, the play calling has just been all over the place. And, and there's just no confidence that, that they're going to put the ball in the, the hands of the best players on the offensive side. It just hasn't happened consistently this year. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen a little bit of that from Kansas State, at least, you know, with K-State, they've got the excuse of, oh, the coaches don't know the players super well. This is their first year. Yeah. They don't know what's going on. I don't know, Derek, do you feel like that's that's been improving? I think it, it got a little better against Baylor. But Yeah, it looked, a, it looked a little better against Baylor to the point that I was legitimately very upset at the end of that game, as opposed to Oklahoma State, where I was just despondent. 
I I really thought they had put something together towards the end of the Baylor game and and thought they had a legitimate shot at pulling that game out. So I think the fan in me says they're going to come out firing pretty hard in this game and that the offense Mm -hmm. is going to look different than we've seen the last two weeks. But I've thought that the last two games. So (laughs) I'm I I, can relate. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think, Derek? Uh, last time PCU went out and played football, they gave up more than 100 yards rushing to a quarterback. Does K-State want to run Skyler more? Do you think Nick Ass is the backup and Skyler is not, you know, the best runner? Do you yeah. want to take that chance? Ah. Personally, I'm not at that point where I want mm-hmm. to see that happen, but we'll see where Chris Kleiman is as far as his men- his mentality, where this offense is, because I think if you're calling a lot of plays where Skyler's running the ball, you've essentially given up all your other options on offense. And I think, um, you know, with the loss of, oh, geez, I went and forgot his name. Yeah, John Holcomb. I think, I mean, it's very possible that they'll call a lot of design plays for Skyler, but I still believe in these running backs. I think we can do something with our running game without having to run him. But yeah. I don't know the way the offensive lines looked the last two weeks. It's yeah. it's even tough. without Jordan Brown is out for a little while, right? Yeah, yeah. It's and that's another thing. Uh, injuries have just been, and that was something we talked about at the beginning of the year. If if a few yeah. injuries happen, we might be looking at a really really bad year so yeah and it looks like the week well, is out again this week so mm-hmm. that, that was i don't know i still like i i don't know if the coaches have really answered that well enough of why malik played what a series and then got hurt again like uh, mm-hmm. it seems like that shouldn't happen <laughs> no <laughs> yeah I mean, that's probably a, a discussion for another podcast, but it's very, yeah. Yeah. it's very suspect. And I, I'll, I'll just say briefly, I'm not too happy with the way Kleiman and the other coaches have handled the media as far as injuries have gone since Malik's injury. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so Melissa, we're talking about quarterback running. I guess I should ask, I mean, was Brock Purdy, was that designed runs or was that more scrambling on his part? Well, Iowa State didn't really discover that they had running backs until this past week, apparently. I'm pretty have been their leading rusher going into the game with TCU. And, I mean, it was it was all on design. I mean, none of those okay. were, were really scrambles. It was the vast majority of his runs came on called quarterback runs. The thing that happens and, and that TCU has, has really struggled with, not just this year, but historically, is that when you have an explosive passing offense, then the Frogs are trying to game plan away from that, and, and they're so focused on making the running back that the quarterback often is left alone, um, you know, which is which is something that, that's true in a lot of defensive sets. But Purdy was such a threat to, to pass the ball, and the Frogs were so geared on. I mean, I don't know what running back they were focused on trying to stop because, I mean, like I said, that I would say didn't know they had one until this last week. But he was able to really take advantage of some gaps and, and – you know, it wasn't like he broke free for a ton of big runs. I think he had one pretty significant one, but it was an opportunity and, and their offensive playing callers seeing what CCU's defense was doing and making adjustments. And um, that's not something we've seen a lot of this year. So it was it was a little bit dumbfounding to us as fans to go, wow, what is, what is this? That they're seeing a mismatch and taking advantage of it? I don't understand. <laughs> um, but I don't expect Chris Kleiman to game plan to run Skyler a lot just because right. I don't think that Kansas State's passing attack is what Iowa State or SMU is. True. And so there's not going to be that man advantage like there has been against those two teams. 
That was very generous of you to say it that way. That's not, it's not what yeah, those Yeah, he started out so good. Like, we were talking in our Frogs of War Slack channel about how, like, Skylar Thompson might be – was he was, like, the best quarterback statistically in the Big 12. Through the yeah, pro football focus was, was loving him. I mean, even yeah, the advanced and, and then then they played a team with a pulse, and much like TCU, looked completely different on the offensive side of the ball. So that was yeah. unfortunate. I mean, a big part of it is he – I honestly, I think – Skyler has been great, but I think it is more on his offensive line and especially his receivers. They're just not getting that yeah. open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's true, too, for out. sure. Yeah, I think Malik's injury, this is just my opinion. Obviously, I have zero to base this on, but I think Malik's injury did a lot to Skyler's ability to make plays and also maybe a little bit of, to his mentality. I think yeah. he had a lot of confidence in the offense with Malik there, and once Malik was not an option, he kind of he might be dealing with some things in his head that we're not aware of. Yeah, and I think just to speak to that fact, he threw what three or four of his first five passes. To Malik. Not to say that Malik was open, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, if you've got offensive line issues, TCU is kind of oddly your cure-all for that, considering our defensive <laughs> ends have one stack, and it was because Brock Purdy fell down, and O'Shawn Mathis just split on top of him. Um, but the Frogs are on pace for the lowest number of sacks that they've had since they entered the conference, and it's a very, very odd thing. Replaced two, you know, first and second round NFL picks, so you expected a little bit of a, uh, you know, regression, but to see them not develop a pass rush pretty much at all against anybody so far this season uh, has been pretty stunning to watch for a defense that's normally kind of the Frogs' calling card, certainly Gary Patterson's calling card. Yeah. Well, on the offensive line, I mean, I still feel like, in general, this is a, it's a talented group. They're just not necessarily clicking maybe with new offensive coordinator or the new offensive line coach, but they can still put this together. You know, at, at what point do we have to start rethinking that, Derek, or that, you know, it's the way you feel? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've been trying to solve that mystery for a couple of weeks. I was just, as you were saying that, thinking that I can't recall during Snyder's tenure ever seeing a drop-off like what we saw from Mississippi State to Oklahoma State as far as offensive line performance. And I don't know, you know, given that Mississippi State just dropped one to Tennessee, um, (laughs) if that says more about Mississippi State or, you know, our offensive line. But it was just – it seems like the confidence and the execution on the offensive line has really, really dropped off in conference play. And I don't know what the – I'm not smart enough at all to, to say what the cure to that might be. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick commercial break here to hear from our sponsors. We're back now, and Melissa, I wanted to ask you a question I've never been able to ask before, and that is, what do you think about having the longest tenured coach in the conference? Uh, wow. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that Gary Patterson, for all the things people said about little old TCU and all the conferences they've been a part of and you know, all, all the people that have come and tried to talk to him through the years that he's still at TCU. But you start to feel a little bit like I'm sure how Kansas State fans felt the last two years of Bill Snyder's tenure. Like, you don't want him to leave because you know he's the best thing that ever happened to your football program. But you start to wonder it, at what point does he have to walk away because it's the right – you know, like – and Patterson's mm-hmm. not there yet. I mean, he's considerably younger, but – you know, waiting after the Iowa, I went up to Ames for the Iowa State game. Um, I'd never been before, and and I wanted to I wanted to see what that environment was like, and quickly regretted being there. But he took so long 
to come to the press conference after. Like, I've never been in an away game where he's – it took 30 minutes probably for him to get out there. And you just kind of wonder, like, is there some self-reflection going on there? Is is there some questioning? Like, he's always said that when he doesn't think he's the right coach for TCU, he won't be the right coach for TCU. And, and being such an old-school style of guy, I think that he's – struggled to reach this generation of kids and I start to wonder if he's going to start to think about a succession plan and I could definitely see my I have a theory in my head and that Sunny Cumbie is going to get fired at the end of this season if he doesn't that would be the biggest upset of the year uh, he's been terrible like I, I really like the guy he's a heck of a recruiter I would be happy with him to be the quarterback coach and like head recruiter if, if they want to keep him on staff but he can't be the play caller next year it's just not okay and Justin Fuentes really struggled at Virginia Tech but he's a guy that was with Gary for a long time who was a part of some of the most successful years in TCU history who ran a really great offensive playbook do not be surprised if he ends up getting canned by Vautech if he comes back home to Fort Worth as the OC and if he becomes kind of coach and waiting for Patterson, whose contract expires in 2024, and I don't see any way that Patterson is still coaching, period, past that date. So I think that Gary Patterson can stay in coach for as long as he wants to. And TCU fans should let him, even if things get worse. Like, you do not run that guy yeah. off. Like, it's the same way you guys thought about Bill Snyder, is that TCU football doesn't exist if Gary Patterson doesn't stick around for as long as he did. Um, and he'll leave this program in a good place. He would never quit after this year without having a plan. But I, I just start to wonder if he's starting to think, hey, maybe it's time to start thinking about what I'm going to do in my life next because he just seems more worn out than I've ever seen him, and it's been like that for two years. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know as much about Gary as you do, obviously, but I'm just going to say that we said that about Bill Snyder, that he would never leave the program in a bad place, and he would step down, <laughs> and it was his time. Yeah. For a long well, time, the, he absolutely the, left it terrible. <laughs> the yeah. thing that, that Patterson won't do is still coach when he's in his 70s. Yeah. You know, like, he, he's always said that he wants to have a life after football. And so I, I do think that – I don't want to say, like, that Bill didn't have anything else to do. You know, I don't know you that. You can say but, that. But, yeah, you can okay, say Okay, that, Bill didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. He didn't do anything but coach football, and and Patterson, you know, plays guitar and travels the world, and is really into photography, and he has all these hobbies and these things, and and he'll he'll be the primary fundraiser and the figurehead of TCU football and, until he doesn't want to do that anymore. But I think that he'll be looking to spend his life living his life when he decides to walk away from the program, and so. I'd be shocked if – I'm not going to say he's going to leave a team that, you know, is a playoff-caliber team, but if you look at the way they've recruited and you look at the way they built the program, talent's not the issue anymore at TCU. And so um, I think that he's trying to stockpile and plan. And if you look at the way that his staff is structured, there are definitely some options for him to, to make a three- to five-year plan where he could leave and TCU wouldn't be in bad shape. I also think that that 2024 – lines up right around the time his conference realignment will happen again as the TV deals change. And so I wouldn't be shocked to see him either stick around until that happens or make sure that a new plan was in place before that happened so the TC didn't get left on the outside looking in again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess, Derek, that kind of brings up a question for me and maybe the impossible task here of getting in the head of Bill Snyder. But what do you think he's thinking watching this season and how it's unfolding? 
I've I've thought a lot about that. In fact, I was I was thinking about that this weekend when I was watching you know other games on TV, and I was thinking you know what does Bill do when he's watching those games, and especially with the road games because you know on home games we've seen him. He's up in the box mm-hmm. and he's watching the game, and God knows what's in that cup. But um, <laughs> it's it's really I I think he's probably chomping at the bit and wondering you know like. Yeah. Uh, second guessing his decision well if it was his decision and you know because obviously this team has a lot of talent and I think that some of the issues that we're seeing maybe are growing pains between the schemes because you know whether you want to say it or not there is a lot of difference between what Kleiman's trying to do and what Bill Snyder was doing with the team Mm -hmm. scheme wise and I think you know some of the issues we're having not many but some of them have to do with that so I think Bill probably watched those first two games and wondered why the team didn't perform that way for him. I have my own theories about that. But, um, you know, I think he would never admit that the game passed him by and that he, you know, he just couldn't do it anymore. But, I I mean, yeah. obviously that's the case. Well, and I so, think we should also say, I mean, you say this team's got a lot of talent, but it's, I mean... It could use some more like Big Twelve talent. Yeah. <laughs> it really could. And I, I don't think that's something yeah. that Bill Snyder's thinking to himself. I, I don't. But I, I think if he was being realistic, mm-hmm. uh, he would realize uh, I kind of left the cupboard a little bit there. But, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, when I say the team's got a lot of talent, I think what I'm saying is that he didn't believe in you know a lot of the players that are really good enough yeah. to get what they're capable of out of them. And that was the case for a long time before, you know, before Skylar Thompson showed up, he did the same thing to Jake Waters and, and a few other players. So, you know, it's just, you know, I like to think that he would rethink that, but at the same time, what I know of Bill, which isn't much, I doubt he's capable of having that kind of self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And Melissa, while we're talking about coaches, maybe you could do us all a favor um, since you're pretty close to Dallas, you could go to the Cowboys. You know, maybe they've already done this, or maybe they're planning to. But just make sure that they just give a blank check to Lincoln Riley and say, "Hey, come, come coach for us." Wouldn't that be you awesome? I would be a okay. And you know, the the Cowboys actually do play football in the city of Arlington, which is not Dallas. Oh, right. You're right. Popular misconception. Right. And I actually live in the city of Arlington. Jerry, oh, yeah. on the other hand, does not live in the city of Arlington, but uh, we do not share zip code. Yeah, I think that honestly, that would be a great situation for everybody and maybe if uh, if he wanted to bring Tom Herman with them not because I think Tom Herman's a great coach and he scares me because that dude <laughs> sucks as a human being and I'd be fine with him being out of college football or at least go somewhere else like I can't stand him and his antics and his ugh, just hypocritical garbage that he's spewing like Lincoln Riley yeah. at least seems like yeah. he's a pretty decent human being Herman just kind of is a punk yeah yeah I would agree with that well i guess that's probably about it Melissa, you want to try to give us a prediction uh you know like derek was saying earlier uh nothing is going to surprise me that happens on saturday i i tcu has to win this game uh this is an absolute without a doubt a must-win game and if the frogs drop this one it's really hard to look at another win on the schedule until you get to West Virginia at home to finish the year. Um, you've got to go to Oklahoma State, to Oklahoma, to Texas Tech. You've got Texas and Baylor are your last two home games. It just it doesn't look good for the Horned Frogs if they can't win on Saturday. And so this is kind of a right the ship moment 
historically, when when teams TCU teams have needed to respond under Patterson, they have. We have not seen this team respond against a you know like living breathing football team this year when they needed to. So I do believe in the leadership of guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think we're going to get better performances from Garrett Wallow and Ennis Gaines has been just a real just a missing piece for the Frogs the last couple weeks. And they get two receivers back, Tay Barber and Mikel Barkley, who hasn't played this year, but is like like Hollywood Brown, super super duper light, like keto Hollywood Brown or something. But, um, so he, I think that will help Max. Um, and I expect Darius Anderson to have a great game on the ground against the Kansas State team that hasn't been great against the run. So I think it's going to be ugly and awful and terrible football, but TC is going to come out and win it. I'm going to say 27 to 15. Oh, wow. That's, dang, that's, I don't know about that. I was actually looking and I'm a little bit surprised here on my ESPN app. It, it, the line is TCU by three and a half. But then ESPN's matchup predictor thing or football power index, whatever the hell they call it, it has Kansas State with a 52.5% chance to win. So, I don't know. That line is surprising to me. Yeah, yeah me too. I think the Frogs are going to be able to put some points up just because I think they'll be able to run the ball well against K-State. And I think getting Barber back is a really underrated addition, assuming he's healthy and good to go. And Julius Lewis playing in his second game on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think the Frogs can slow down Kansas State running game. Um, and, and without a huge passing offensive threat, I, I think they can hold them to field goals. It's going to come down to turnovers. If TCU turns it over twice, then obviously all bets are off. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if the Wildcats won. I just I think it's, uh, there's going to be a late touchdown that's in garbage time that's not going to matter for the Horned Frogs. But it's going to be close until the fourth quarter, and they'll finally pull away. Okay. Well, I hope you're wrong, but um, you know, enjoy watching the game. <laughs> we'll see how it goes on Saturday. Well, so thanks yeah, a lot I for joining us. Confidently, have not confidently picked a win. I just this yeah. is definitely just a complete desperation ploy that I'm going for. So if, if I'm wrong, I won't be surprised whatsoever. I'm just I'm really trying to pull out all the stops to do my part for the team. <laughs> okay. Okay. I can appreciate that. All right. Always a good time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Luke Thompson. So, yeah.